unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
Okay, 7 o'clock, time to get started. Wonderful to see you here tonight. There are bulletins back there, the midweek ones. And if you'd like to pick one up, there'll be a list of sick people there. I'll not go over all of those, but I did get this text today. And I just want to share with you how, how the thing went. So Billy, a chopper, and Brenda Taylor, they have a newborn great-grandson. Um, that baby was flown to Le Bonheur today. Uh, after the birth, there was found on the scans a growth in the baby's brain. So they flighted them up there to kind of follow up on that. So, of course, as you can imagine, those that got the message, the plea was to please be praying for this baby. And you know, immediately, you read something like that and you, you pray. And I'm sure a lot of people were involved in that. Uh, baby's name's Steel Moreland. Okay, so later today, I got this update from Brenda. The ultrasound that they did at Le Bonner revealed no growth at all. Would that not be like the greatest relief of your life? And so they're, you know, they're going to do more tests, make sure that uh, there isn't anything. But that was just an amazing, I believe, answer to prayer. Um, doctors there think most likely it was a glitch with the machine in New Albany. Okay. Uh, here's also something I would like to say. Just because the scan tells you they found something doesn't necessarily mean they did find something. So until things are really verified and followed up with, please do not panic. Just start praying, okay? Not Jared this way. Okay, we will. All right, I just, I thought that was so extraordinary. I want to share that with you. I just like good things and good stories like that. So let's keep praying that everything's okay. We're going to sing a song together, number 624. And after that, we'll have our prayer. And then we will have our Bible study. 624. In the lost cast and exceeding wondrous on the mountain straight unto me. Father in heaven, thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us. And thank you for the many blessings that you've showered upon each one of us. We thank you for the things that you put in our hands to do today. And I really pray that we were successful in executing our duty. Thank you for the privilege of being your children and for being able to serve you in so many different ways. We pray, Lord, for all of those who are sick or bereaved. We pray for their comfort. For those who are sick, we pray for the restoration of their health. 
Lord, we, we pray for um, Chopper and Brenda's family, especially as regards the new baby. We pray that he'll grow strong and healthy. I know that they had a scare today, and we just, we rejoice that it wasn't like the doctors had thought, at least initially. And we just pray that everything's going to be well with this baby. And Lord, the uh, truth is, our lives are filled with all kinds of uncertainties. Things that happen to us, we don't really know sometimes even how to react or what to do. But Lord, I pray that you'll instill in us just by this one example that you know, you're the one that we need to trust and put our confidence in and that we can benefit from the expertise and, and the good that people do. But really, ultimately, all that all that really matters is you. And we want to have a great relationship with you. We want to feel free to come to you with any of our concerns and know that you will hear us. And we just, again, we just rejoice for a good outcome. Uh, Lord, please be with us tonight as we talk more about stewardship and especially the fact that we're stewards of, of relationships. Help us, Lord, when you bring people into our lives to feel a sense of responsibility to build those relationships, to love people in the way that you love us and in in a great way to be able to express our love for you through the relationships that we have. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do and pray that you help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're stewards of lots of things as you've already seen from our previous studies. And this will actually be the last lesson especially dealing with the idea of stewardship. So the second half of our study is kind of a, a gravitational shift over to a specific aspect of stewardship, and that is giving. So the last half of our quarter is going to deal with giving and what the Bible has to say about that. I felt like it was important for us first to know that God expects a lot out of us. When we become his children, or when we take the name Christian, a follower of Jesus, that carries some heavy responsibility with it. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, that means I'm going to exemplify in my life the things of Jesus. And a lot of that bears upon this idea of stewardship, but tonight I'm, I'm trying to think with all of us of what it is exactly that's foundational to the stewardship itself. I know we looked at some passages that told us the kind of stewards that we are, kind of things that we're stewards over, like the mysteries of God, that, that sort of thing. Deep stuff, it seems like. But at the very foundation, Every aspect of our stewardship is founded on a particular principle. And I think, from my perspective, that that principle has to do with love. That motivates everything else. It seems to me that it would be love that really motivates our sense of stewardship. Why is it I want to be a faithful steward? It's not really in all the details of the stewardship itself, how I handle things. Those, those studies are important, but I'm talking about our foundation. What really drives me to be a good steward, a faithful steward? I think it's love. So I wanted us to start tonight looking at a description of that. In fact, the description of that. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. So if you'll turn to that text... We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 22, and specifically verses 36 to 40. And if someone would be so kind as to read that text for us, that would be just super duper. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of the law? He said again, 
Okay, thank you very much. Now there it is. It's all laid out for us in some pretty simple terms. So the great commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. So the great commandment is to love God. Okay, watch this now. The great commandment is to love God. So what would you say the greatest relationship we have is? If, yeah, exactly. If the greatest commandment is to love God with all that you have and are, then it seems to me that the greatest relationship that we would have, the one we are most responsible for, is the relationship that we have with God. But look what he does right here. If the greatest commandment points out our greatest relationship, then he says the second is like it. So the second commandment, the one that just comes right in after the first one, is what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself, or love your neighbor as you love yourself, to the same degree. Okay? So, if the second greatest command is to love your neighbor, then it seems to me that the second greatest responsibility would be to whom? Your neighbor. Okay? Now, we've kind of touched on it a little bit because we did talk about the mysteries of God being stewards of that and what that entails. And again, it's multifaceted, and I'm sure that we didn't deal with every aspect of that, but it was of a spiritual nature. And when you talk about what we are as Christians, well, that's, that's our thing. We may be in physical vehicles here right now, but we're sojourners because we have our sight on heaven, Colossians chapter 3. So uh, here's what I'm thinking. There is something that when combined, really gets at another foundational purpose that we have that we also are stewards of. And it kind of dovetails what we just sang about seeking the lost, the joy in that. If I'm really loving God, if he's my number one relationship, then I'm thinking what pleases him is the thing I'm going to strive to do. And I know that at, again, the heart of the thing, foundational with God, is saving people. He's been working on that from before the beginning. So that's something I can do for God. But if I love people, and again, the standard of loving them is the same standard by which I was loving God. Think about that. The second is like it. Okay, so if I'm loving people like I'm loving God, well, if God's thing is saving people, then it seems only natural that if I'm really loving other people, what am I going to want to see about them? That they're saved. The most loving thing that I could do for another person is not give them a bouquet of flowers. Now, I know they'll appreciate it, but how long do those bouquet of flowers last? You may not know because you're constantly refilling those vases. You're so sweet. But I know <laughs> that they don't last that long, okay? It isn't very long before they start drying up. Oh, you say, well, I can take, the, I can take it out and I can press it in a book. Have you ever, and you're maybe not going through this right now, but I am. I got a bunch of boxes in my garage right now that are full of old keepsakes. When we put them in the boxes, I don't know what we were thinking because cardboard boxes are not really conducive to protecting your valuable paper products. So a lot of the little things that we collected from our kids over the years that we stored in cardboard boxes that were not in climate controlled garages in places where we lived, guess what happened to them? You know, they're a mess and a lot of that stuff uh, we, you know, you shed the tears over it because you remember the moment, but you think it's not really that attractive now with all these bug tracks on it and the, the mess. It's stuck and things like that. So 
Even, even that, even with our very best effort, things do not last. A lot of the documents, like the, the United States Constitution, you can see that thing, or at least what you think is it, probably not actually it, but they'll go through the process of telling you it's it. The true one is locked up somewhere in a controlled vault and probably if they ever actually opened up the thing that it's sealed in, within a few minutes the thing would deteriorate because that stuff, as well as we try to protect it, just doesn't last. The thing that truly does last, the thing that is really foundational, is that eternal component of the character of God. It is love. So in my relationships, Tonight, we're going to explore three things that we are to be stewards over in terms of our relationships. It's our love for God. It's our love for one another. And it's our love for the lost. You and I, we have relationships driven by love that have to be maintained. So let's talk first about this matter of our relationship with God. Now, again, this text... This is kind of our base here, so I'm going to try and refer back to it every time. The great commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Okay, you can take those words that are translated by heart, soul, and mind, and you can look at their definitions. Here's the interesting thing about that that those words are so closely aligned with one another that they are not mutually exclusive terms. And what I mean by that is when you look up heart, you don't have a definition of heart that would rule out the other two, soul and mind. In fact, guess what? Sometimes in translations, the editor will have chosen the word heart to translate a particular word, and you read another translation, it might actually have mind there. Or sometimes in a context, you will find the language using both words interchangeably. So they aren't, in terms of meaning, mutually exclusive. You do have a heart, you do have a soul, and you do have a mind. I think it's interesting that Mark, when he makes this quotation, he throws in actually a fourth consideration. Anybody remember what that one is? Starts with an S. Strength. Okay, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whether you can delineate those words well enough or not, and you probably can't, that's not really the point of what he's saying here. What he's telling us is that when we go to loving God, God is expecting that we are going to use all of our faculties in loving him. We are going to use every part of our capacity as a human being to love God. Everything that I am, I am dedicating to loving God. He says that is the great commandment. So, as we noticed a moment ago, if I'm going to make kind of that shift, then I'm going from, here's a great commandment, to a great relationship. And how is it that I maintain this relationship with God? I maintain that relationship with God by loving Him, not just kind of throwing a few crumbs at Him, or just saying that I love Him, but I am committing my whole being to loving God. Now, there's, there is a telling description of a relationship that bears on this pretty well. And I, I think it explains a lot maybe of the trouble that we can have in our relationship with God. It's in the book of John, chapter 21. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 25. Who would read that for us? John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. 
I hear pages turning. Okay, Rick, you had your hand up earlier. Will you read that one for us? Now, Rick, I'm going to tell you, when we get down to the conversation, I'm going I'm to say stop occasionally, okay? No offense, peace, but I just want to emphasize some things. Okay, go ahead. Okay, stop right there. Okay, Simon, do you love me? Jesus is asking Peter, he uses the word agape. Okay, do you, Peter, do you have that selfless love for me? Now, he's talking to Peter, who prior to this had done what? They <laughs> had denied the Lord three times. The very thing he said he would not do. And prior to that, he's the one that pulled the sword out and cut Malchus's ear off. He had the intention of doing it, but boy, when it came right down to it, Peter just wouldn't step up. So Jesus, you know, we're eating, we're just kind of sitting around. Peter, you're part of my inner circle. I know, you know, we're friends, we're close, all that. Blah, 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 blah. Peter, do you love me? You have that selfless love for me? Okay, keep reading, Rick. Some right there. Peter says, you know, you know I love... Oh, you know I phileo you, not I agape you, selfless love, would do anything for you, don't expect it. No, you're my friend. <laughs> Jesus, don't you remember our history? You know, you know I'm your friend. Okay, keep going. Wait, stop for a second. Okay, different, but Jesus still gives him a responsibility. Okay, you want to, it's kind of like, you, I feel this awkwardness with us, Peter. You want to prove something to me? Do what? Don't just tell me that you agape me. That's fine. Don't. We've got this issue right now. But what I do want you to do eventually, and that, that's the point, is do what? Feed? Okay, feed me. Okay, keep reading. Oops, stop right there. Do you love me? Again, he uses the same word, agape. Okay, let's move on. Do you, you think, you think in your mind, yeah, Lord, I'm going to take care of that. Okay, seriously, do you have that selfless kind of love for me? You, you, would, you, would you die for me? Okay, keep going. Yes, Lord, you know I'm your, again, he used the same word, phileo. You know I'm your friend. Come on now. Okay, keep reading. I'll give you a responsibility. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, take care of my sheep. Okay, keep going. Oh, stop right there. Interesting. Now, remember, Peter had denied the Lord three times. Jesus has now, up until this point, said, do you agape me? Do you have this selfless love for me? He's responded, phileo, oh, I'm your friend, I'm your friend. Jesus now says, do you, not agape, do you phileo me? In other words, really? Are you my friend? Are you my friend? Go ahead, Rick. Oh, stop. Did Peter catch this distinction? Does he get what Je He's grieved over it. What's that mean when you are grieved over something? Oh, man. You're sad. You just... Where does Peter want to go right now? Here's something. Yeah, here's something ironic. Yeah, Peter wants to get under a rock. Boom. <laughs> okay, if you don't get that, that's fine. Ask me later. Okay, keep reading. Okay, Peter again uses phileo. You know everything, Lord. And as from my perspective right here, what I think I know about myself, I'm saying for the third time, you're my friend, you know I'm your friend, you question my friendship. I'm telling you with heavy grief in my heart, so sorry for everything that I've done, I am your friend. Okay, keep going. And finish that out.
Okay. So awkward discussion, but I know the story about Peter. You do too. And how awkward this must have been. Jesus is still hopeful. And here, you're going to be useful to me. Aside from the fact that there is that question lingering out there, and I'm, I'm pretty sure as much as people say, well, you know, probably every time, every time Peter heard a rooster crow and he thought about denying the Lord, probably, but probably this too, every time anybody talked about loving Jesus, it probably had this come up in his mind. Uh, do I? Do I? I? I'm wondering about us. Now, if we took a survey, I said, do you love Jesus? Uh, do you love God with all that you are? I, I can't imagine anybody would say no, outright no. But, but probably a lot of people are, are like where Peter is right here. You make assumptions all the time, everything's cool, but how is it that, how is it that I really love God? How am I really loving him? In 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, who would read that text for us? Really short. 1 John, all the way nearly to the end. 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. I think what Jesus is getting at with Peter is really covered in this text right here. First John 3, 18 and 19. Anybody have that? Would like to read it? Okay, here's how you know the truth about it. You don't love in word or in tongue. Is that love just saying I love you? I'm going to tell you that there's an event in my life where someone that I loved came to me and they screamed at me, I love you. I will, I will tell you at that moment, I didn't feel very loved. <laughs> I just, I don't know if you've had ever had anybody scream those words at you with anger in their heart. It just really didn't seem to fit the words that they were trying to convey to me. It really didn't really prove it to me. So don't love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Okay, it, Peter, you love me? Yeah, I love you, love you, love it. So, so what? You say that. What I need for you to do is what? Feed, tend, feed. I need you to do something. Show me that you love me. You think that didn't fire Peter up when he got to preach on the day of Pentecost? You think that didn't fire him up when he went on various missions teaching the lost about Jesus? Man, that had to drive every step along the way. Because I'm going to prove to you, Jesus, it's not just that I say I do. Of course I do. Yes, I do. But just saying it doesn't make it so. It's not... In what I say, my word or my tongue, but it is in deed and in truth. Let's talk about the Ephesian church for a minute. And we're not even going to the book of Ephesians to do this. We're going to look at Revelation, very last book of your Bible, Revelation chapter 2, the first seven verses. And I'm just going to tell you right away. As you start reading about the church in Ephesus, you're going to go, what a great church. What a great church. Who will read this for us? First seven verses, Revelation chapter 2. Okay, we have a taker. Go ahead.
Okay, thank you. All right, let me ask you this question. Is it possible, kind of the other way, is it possible to do the right thing for the wrong reasons? Just nod your head this way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's possible to do the right things. Were they doing right things? Boy, if you came into the church of Ephesus and you had a false doctrine, what was going to happen to you? They're going to confront you about it. They're going to kick you out of the place. I mean, here was a church dedicated to the truth. They, they had a lot going for them, except for the one thing. And it isn't it just a one thing. It's the one thing. The one thing that was a problem was what? They had left their first love. Oh, no. Now, the greatest command is to do what? Love the Lord your God with what? Heart, soul, mind. Mark says strength. All that I am, all of my capacity, everything that it makes me, me, I'm dedicating it to the Lord. I love Him with my whole being. But they had left their first love. They're still doing the things of God. They're listed there, lots of them. They're doing the things of God. But where's the love? They they had left their first love. Somehow or other, even in the process of keeping house as a church, they had forgotten what was most important. And if you lose your foundation, what happens to you? Okay, you know the story, right? You build your house on the sand, it's still a house. It might be a fine house, but if it's built on the sand, you ask those kids down the hall there, they'll tell you exactly, very enthusiastically, they'll tell you exactly what will happen. My first number one relationship, the relationship that I have, the one I'm a steward over, I'm responsible for, the number one relationship is with God. The number two relationship is with whom? One another. Isn't that what the text said? The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I would ask this question, kind of like we asked before. How how is it that you love your neighbor? Do, Do you love others? We will see clearly in a moment. Do you love others with the same veracity and intent, with the same depth of commitment, all that you are and all that you have for others? Do you love them that much? Okay, relationship with God's easy because I could just say I love God. He's not right here to challenge that. (laughs) Someone's in your in your garage yelling at you that they love you with evil intent, you're pretty sure they don't. That's, that's hard to deal with. And your response to that, that's hard to come up with. The commitment, the level of commitment that we are supposed to have. But it's the second commandment. It is the second greatest of our relationships, other people. You notice he didn't say the second one is like this, love yourself. Love, patch it. You are amazing. No. Put others ahead of yourself. So that's in keeping with a lot of other teachings. I know as well as you do that love is a command. Love is not a new command. Love is an old command. In fact, you might be surprised if you didn't know this already, that what Jesus says about how we're supposed to love is actually from the Old Testament scriptures. Someone read Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. 19, 18. I know you're looking at it and you're astounded. How did that get here? Someone read that, please. Whoa, wait, what? Love your neighbor as yourself? No, wait a second. 
Um, someone else please read John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Keep your finger right there at Luke 19, 18. And then go over to the New Testament, Matthew, or John chapter 13, verses 34, 35. John 13, 34, 35. And someone tell me what that says. Okay, wait a second. A what? A new one. Now, wait a second. Is Leviticus 19, 18 old or new? That's old. It's even in the Old Testament, right? That's, that's a part of the first five books of the law. Moses wrote those. Those are old, old, old. Okay, do that again, Jeremy. Start that over. Maybe we misheard you. Okay, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. What did he say over there in the Old Testament they're supposed to do? You're supposed to love it. What's new about this? Uh, okay, yeah, that's the new part. Loving like Jesus loves. Which, by the way, uh, it's also the standard by which we are supposed to be loving. He says, that's new, but the new is you're going to love like I love. Okay, scratching my head. How would that look? Uh, Jeremy, if you don't mind, maybe in the same opening, but uh, chapter 15, verse 13. Flip a page. <laughs> Okay, greater love. There's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. Any, anybody you know did that? Jesus did that. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus wasn't forced to lay down his life. The scripture says that he laid down his life willingly. Jesus laid down his life willingly for us. Okay, so... Let me ask, what, is, what would you say the standard of the love of Jesus? He says there's no greater love than this, and then that's the love that he had. So the greatest kind of love is the love that Jesus had. Jesus died for us. That's the greatest kind of love you can possibly have. He says here in this text, though, that we are to love like he loves. So therefore, what kind of love are we supposed to have for other people? Please don't make me repeat all of that. <laughs> I, you know, we're, have, we're supposed to have that same, and thank you for saying it that way, that same sacrificial love for others. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. It's a pretty great commentary on that idea. Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48. Who would read that text for us? Okay, yes, please. Wait a second. What translation are you reading out of? Does that sound... Does anybody else have that in theirs? That must be a misprint. Love your enemies? What? Okay, keep reading. We'll, we'll check it.
Okay, thank you. Oh boy. Now we've come to a very difficult moment. Okay, so are you a child of God? I am. Anybody else in here? You're a child of God. You are a child of God. So if you are a child of God, in our text, you're a son of God. What kind of people are you supposed to love? <laughs> uh, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Okay. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. Do you have anybody in your life like that? Somebody who's your enemy? People who curse you? People who hate you? People who spitefully use you and even go so far as to persecute you? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, is your enemy hungry? Feed him. Is thirsty? Give him a drink. For in so doing, he coals of fire on his head. Yeah, Ken, that's what I want to do. Just want to burn his head clean off. That's not what that text is telling us to do. It is to, it is to so love them that even when they mistreat us, we're going to treat them good. And when they see that, they are just going to be blown away by it. Why would they be blown away by your responding in a kind way to their hatefulness? They wouldn't do it. Are you kidding me? That is unheard of. Except that we're not like everybody else. We are not sons of the devil. We are sons of God. Let me tell you something about God. God loves people so much. He has the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, perfection, you say, well, there it is, Ken. I'm human, I'm not perfect. No, you're not perfect in that you never make mistakes. But you can have perfect love, and perfect love is simply this. Loving your enemy. Loving those who curse you. Loving those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Loving them. Well, why? Well, ultimately, I'm loving like Jesus loved. Jesus loved so much that he died for people. Chapter 15, verse 13. Now, question, who all did he actually die for? Just good people? In fact, at the time, I mean, everybody's a bad person. Everybody. That's uh, Romans chapter 5, right? But when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's it. So you and I, as children of God, have this great responsibility. The second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. You'll read like in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, we didn't get to, but that's the story of the Good Samaritan. The greatest enemy on earth to a Jew took care of his needs. He became this beaten up Jew's neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Look around you. And not just these people. Look around at the world. Everybody you see is that person that God loves. That person that Jesus died for, gave his life for. I'm going to love them because God loves them. If I'm his child, I'm going to walk after his perfection or his completeness of love because I'm a steward of that. I'm a steward, number one, of my relationship with God. I'm a steward number two in my relationship with others. Well, looks like the doors are open and the kids are out. Let's have a prayer and then we will be dismissed. Our Father, thank you for the time we could spend looking at your word and being challenged. And this is one of the greatest challenges. 
I pray, Lord, that you will help us to love like you love, love like Jesus loves. The great example of loving despite the circumstances and not expecting anything in return, doing it because it's right and because we're your children. Forgive us when we fail in that. Help us to develop this attitude and to be a great light in this world of darkness and hatred. We thank you for the blessing of Jesus that makes all that possible. Motivate us always by love. In Jesus' name, amen.